what the Rav Shulchan Zayas is about, how to be a person. Okay, so the Rav says, you know, we have all sorts of um, ways that we deal with illness. Sometimes we have physical illness, sometimes we have spiritual illness. We have emotional illness. So the Rambam writes in the second parak of Hilchos Deos, Anyone ever have this experience? A person sometimes is physically sick, his body is sick in such a way that that he can't tell what he's, what he's tasting. When he eats something bitter, it tastes sweet. When he eats something sweet, it tastes bitter. Anyone ever have this experience? Yeah, and like yeah, uh, COVID. And COVID, yeah, yeah, you lose your your smell, your taste. It's very, it's a very strange thing. It's a very strange thing. There was one point um, about eight years ago, when I was uh, when I wasn't well, that I had this crazy experience where everything tasted like metal. It was the worst. It was really the worst experience of like, I don't know, of of my of my eating in the, in my life. That everything I put in my mouth had this metallic taste. It was a, such a strange thing. It didn't matter what it was. It could be a, the blandest piece of bread, or it could be like it, it didn't matter what it was. It just had this metallic taste. It was very strange. So sometimes when a person's sick, so we, we become disoriented, right? Meaning sweet and bitter, and bitter and sweet all become mububal. It's all mixed up. It's all mixed up. A person could become loalenu so 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 ill, and this sounds like more of an emotional illness, or sometimes even a physical illness, where they have these very strange cravings, that they desire to eat something that's not even considered food. A person wants to eat dirt, a person wants to suck on a piece of charcoal. And he won't he doesn't desire normal food like bread and meat and the like. So there's all sorts of Illnesses that we experience physically, and it, it becomes disorienting. So it says the Rambam, The same thing is true when a person is emotionally or spiritually sick. We fall in love with all sorts of warped types of thinking. And we end up despising the proper path. And we feel lazy or disinterested in, in, in pursuing it. And it becomes burdensome. Being a Jew becomes burdensome. Something that's objectively good for me, like waking up in the morning and putting on my tefillin and davening, keeping Shabbos and kosher, and all of the healthy things that a Jewish neshama needs becomes, becomes you know, I become detached from it, which is a strange thing. Okay? So how do you fix this? And this is the point I want to I wanna learn in the Rambam, and we're going to see it in an amazing piece of Rav Tzadok, in Sidka Satzadik. So the Rambam says, so how do you fix it? What do you do when you're, what do you do when you're sick in this way? The Rambam says, What's the refuah? No, Chavar, you, you know this Rambam? What do you say? What do you do? How do you, how do you get a person back on track? How do, you, how do you reset the system? What do you do to help such a person? What would you do? So Mishahu Bal Chema, a person, let's say, who's very angry, like Haman is, right? Haman's filled with Chema in the Megillah. A person who's a very angry person, Omrim Lo Lahanig Atzma, we ask the person, we say, listen, train yourself, right? Practice the opposite Mida. Shem Huka Vakula Lo Yargish Klal. If usually you overreact to everything, so now if someone punches you in the face, you know, stay calm. Don't respond at all. 
In other words, maybe it's appropriate to respond in sort of a, a balanced, middle-of-the-road kind of way, which it is. But to, to, if, you're, if you're extreme in one way, you have to be extreme in the other way to eventually balance out. So a person who's always angry and very quick to respond with, uh, with chaymo, with wrath, right? So such a person, if someone strikes you or curses you, don't respond at all. And to try to reset your, your, uh, your midos, so go to the opposite extreme. And if a person, let's say, has a, a haughtiness problem, right? He's always a balgaiva. So so do almost things that are, are embarrassing for you. Right? And put yourself, seat yourself below everyone else. And wear worn out rags that are that are disgraceful to the one who wears them. Until you humble yourself in such a way, instead of wearing your you know your custom made suits and having the best seat in the shul and driving the nicest car, and you realize that it's making you into a into a gaivadic person, so go to the opposite extreme until again until you balance yourself out. Okay, this is the Mahalik of the Rambam. Go to one end. If you're extreme in one way, go to the opposite extreme with the goal of ending up eventually somewhere in the middle. Okay? Good? Seder? Yes? This is a very fundamental yisod to, to just working on yourself. Okay? Being aware of one's midos and being able to, to be metakin. So Tzadok <clears throat> is really addressing one very obvious question in the Megillah, which should really bother us deeply if you actually stop and think about it. Okay, but it's really it's a lesson. It's a lesson in tikkun hamidos, and it's a lesson in it's a lesson in the 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 hergish, the feeling that we're supposed to have on Pur. Okay, so this is Rav Tzadik of Lublin and Tzirka Satzadik in Os Reish Nun Hey. Okay, let's read inside. Bidavar sha adam chaser ba. When a person is lacking in a certain area, vitzarech tikkun al yidei hisnagus vehepuch. The whole Megillah we know is, uh, is one big story of what? Of Vinahafachim. Right, we spoke about in Shir how the gematria of the word Vinahafoch in the Megillah, Vinahafoch, is 167. Why? Because all 167 psukim in the Megillah are one big Vinahafoch. Right, everything is being flipped the opposite of what you would expect. So when a person, <coughs> right to Tzadok, when a person is lacking in a certain area, Right? And he's, he's, he's imperf- imperfect in a certain area. And he needs to be metake in that area. So he does so sometimes, like we just learned, by going to the opposite extreme. By doing the hippoch, by doing the opposite of it. And sometimes our tzaddik says, and this is very deep, Sometimes it means even giving up something to train yourself, you have to give up something which in a different context for someone else would be a mitzvah. Okay, now what does that mean? That sounds very abstract. So we'll see right away. Kederach Sha'amru, like the Gemara says in Sanhedrin. Bimalva Berivis, a person who lends uh, and charges interest, which is Aser. Right? You're not allowed to lend a Jew and charge interest. Now, what about lending a non Jew and charging interest? Not only are you allowed to, it's a Pasuk in Chumash. The Torah tells us in Chumash Devarim that, it's right over here, l'nachri sashich. To the nachri, you should charge interest. But let's say you, are, you have an addiction that you lend Jews on interest, and now you need to break that addiction. So what, what are you going to do to overcome your, your taiva of lending Jews money and charging interest, which is an iser in the Torah? So you know what you have to do? 
You have to go to the opposite extreme and not take interest from anyone, even an angel. So the Gemara Sanhedrin is telling us, again, a person who lends and charges interest, and now he want, we want to see if he's really choser b'tshuva, the Gemara says there in Sanhedrin, that he won't even take interest from an anjou. Even though the Chumash tells us in Devar and Perach of Gimel that you should take interest from a guy. But to, to overcome his bad midah, he goes to the opposite extreme. As long as it's not an Avera by holding back, then he needs to hold back. So in other words, does he have to lend an Anju and charge interest? You don't have to. You're allowed to. In a certain sense, it's a mitzvah because the Torah says you can and therefore maybe you should. Right? Why not? Why not? You know, it's a good business move. It's a special, you know, it's a special um, chumrah that the Torah imposed upon us that for my fellow Jew, I give it to him, I lend him for free. I don't collect interest. But again, look how this person is metake in his taiva, his avera of lending Jews and charging interest by going to the opposite extreme. That's one example. Okay, is that clear? Yes, however, it's clear. Makes sense? Okay, I'll show you another example. V'chein David HaMelech HaLeveshalom. David HaMelech was working on his Yetzirah. He was working on controlling his Yetzirah. And how did David do that? David used to have conversations with his Yetzirah. David tried to convince his Yetzirah, listen, we don't have to do Averos. We can sometimes satisfy the craving in a permissible way. V'chein David HaMelech HaLeveshalom. David Melech used to say to his Yetzirah, Chayacha, Ani Mativcha Davar Hamutr Lecha. Right? By, by, by your life. Right? It's a lashon of like, uh, taking a shua. Chayacha. Right? It's a strong statement. I, I, I can satisfy, I can satisfy, you know, the desire with that which is permitted. So, what, what did David do? David had many wives. Person has a strong sexual desire. So the Torah permits a person to have multiple wives. Okay. Kamosha Amru Chazal, like the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, regarding David's Pilagshim. Now, but what happened with David's Pilagshim? What happens with David's Pilagshim? So let's pause for a second and let's take a look, just to remember what happened with David's Pilagshim. It says, in Shmuel Beis, it says that Absalom, Absalom's son, was, uh, was involved with David's Pilagshim. He was involved intimately, sexually, with David's Pilagshim. So it says in Shmuel Beis, Vayavu David al Beis Yushalayim, Vayikach HaMelech Es Eser Noshim Pilagshim, Asher Hiniach Lishmor Habayis, David HaMelech took those ten Pilagshim, Vayitneim Beis Mishmeres, and he put them into some type of secluded place, Vayachalkalim, and he prov- provided for them, he gave them, he gave them uh, food, Vayalehem Lova, but he did not live with them. He did not lova in an intimate way. He, he was no longer intimately involved with them. And they lived out their life in seclusion like an almana. Right? They lived, uh, they lived in widowhood, like it says here. Okay? Now, let's think about this for a second. What had happened to David's Pilagshim? Why did he, why did he refrain from being with them? Because Absalom had raped them, had, took, had, had taken advantage of them. Were they prohibited to David HaMelech? Were they prohibited to David HaMelech? If a woman is, God forbid, taken against her will, she wouldn't be, she wouldn't be prohibited. She wouldn't be prohibited. Meikar Adin, she wouldn't be prohibited. 
And even though, as Ritzadik writes here, Hagam diyesh mitzvah laharnin lev almana. There's an Indian to gladden the heart of an almana. In other words, David HaMelech was making a choice to leave these women in a state of widowhood, right? To leave them without a husband. And even though there's a Pasuk that says in Eov, the Pasuk says explicitly, V'leiv almana arnan, arnin, I'm sorry, arnin. V'leiv almana arnin, that the heart of an almana you should gladden, you should, you should give it reason to rejoice and to sing. David HaMelech said, I'm gonna, I, I choose to leave these women aside. Why? Why did he do that? He did that because he felt that that was the right thing to do in order to control his Yetzirah. And therefore, even though in a certain context there's a mitzvah to, to try to gladden the heart of an almana, the Gemara even says in Bava Basra that Eov, which I told you is where this Pasuk is found, this Pasuk of Velev Almana Arnin, Eov used to go to, uh, to people when there was an almana, and he would say, Eov was very chashiv, Eov was like a gadol ador in his time, so Eov used to go to people when no one wanted to marry this widow, and Eov would say, you know, you should really make a shidduch with this woman. So they said, no, I don't know, she's an almana, she's not for me. So Eov would say, you know, she's my relative. She's like my uh, fourth cousin, three times removed. Oh, you mean so, so we'll be related. So Eov used to dafka find ways by telling people he was related to this person and that person to make shidduchim. Right? So it's a big thing not to leave a woman as an almana. But David Melech felt that given the context of what had happened here, it was more appropriate for him to refrain. And even though, yes, in a certain context, again, in a different context, going above and beyond for the almana is appropriate. However, here, where David Melech has a choice, and since it's not a full-fledged wife, it's not a, it's not a violation of, of not providing for one's wife, the Torah says about one's wife, you can't, you can't deny, you can't deny her, right? But here, where it's just a pilegesh, David has the right to do so in order to control his yetzahara. So again, you see an example of a person saying, "I'm working on myself. I'm working on a midah. and even though that means I'm giving up something which, in a certain context, would be considered a mitzvah, you're allowed to do it to work on your character, to work on your self-control. Okay." A third, and I guess final example for now. Chuvas Yisrael al top of the next column, ha'egel. Right? What went wrong by chet ha'egel? And again, how do you fix it? So, however, here's what went wrong by chet ha'egel. What went wrong by chet ha'egel is, dehu bakoshas avoda v'ishtadlus shelo lios below Moshe Rabbeinu alav shalom v'hargashas rav. What was the problem? The Jewish people panicked when Moshe Rabbeinu right, disappeared. They didn't know what to do. So they made themselves an eagle. We need to have a Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? We can't survive without a Moshe Rabbeinu. They put in a, a certain type of hishtadlus, not to be without uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. They needed to respond to that. So what's the tshuva for them? What's the tshuva? The tikkun for that is learning in a proper way to be, I think this is what Rav Tzadok is saying, I think this is what he's saying, to be without Moshe Rabbeinu. The response is, right? When, again, when they responded, again, I'm not sure exactly how he's saying it. Maybe that they, they desperately needed to have, you know, the Indian of Moshe Rabbeinu. Or maybe it was that they, that they, I don't know, too quickly gave up on Moshe Rabbeinu. They needed some type of tikkun in the relationship with Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Because of, again, there was this hishtadlus shalolios below Moshe Rabbeinu. So I think what he's saying is they had to learn how to be Respectfully, without Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe sets up his oil, he sets up his tent, chutz l'machana, 
And he creates a, a reality where what? Where Yira Migesha say love, where they're afraid to approach Moshe Rabbeinu. Shayumonim Miryaso. That they held back from what? From seeing Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, why is that a tikkun that means giving up a mitzvah? Hagamduhu mitzvah be'emes. However, what is the mitzvah of seeing Moshe Rabbeinu? It's the mitzvah, you know, at the bottom of, uh, I don't know, the pictures they sell in Meisharim, right? Which is actually talking about Hashem, right? But that your eyes should see, see your Rebbe. So they were giving up the mitzvah, so to speak, of, of seeing the Rebbe, of seeing the tzaddik, but they had to work, they had to learn. Again, some type of tikkun for whatever happened when they, when Moshe delayed or what they considered to be a delay coming down the mountain and they made an egel. So the tikkun was, okay, we have to, we have to create a proper, you know, buffer zone between us and Moshe Rabbeinu to learn how to, to be without a Moshe Rabbeinu. And even if that means giving up again, the mitzvah, so to speak, of being mistakal bifnei rabo, that's what they needed to do in order to be attacking their mitzvah. Okay? So, so we saw three examples. Number one, we saw the guy who is prepared to stop lending even to non-Jews on ribbis, which in a certain context could be a mitzvah to be metakin his uh, taiva to lend to Jews against the halacha and charge interest. We see how David HaMelech gave up a certain uh, permitted desire to somehow work on Yitzhahara, given the context of what had happened with his son Avshalom. And we see how B'nai Yisrael withdrew from Moshe Rabbeinu, even though there's a mitzvah to see one's rabbi, as some type of tikkun for whatever, jumping the gun over there by Chet Okay. So, Chavra, listen to this. This is amazing. Let's think about what Mordechai did to be metaki in his midah. So you'll say, whoa, hold on a second. Mordechai? Mordechai is a tzaddik. What bad midah did Mordechai have? What, what negative hashpa had Mordechai acquired from the world in which he was living? Because we're all, and that's one of the really important points of this piece, which is part of the reason we're learning it you automatically, you pick up things from the environment that you're in, and if you're not working against it, if you're not trying to be metakin it, so then you're going to pick up bad mitos. There's a hashpa. There's a hashpa you have just walking down the streets of Washington Heights, whether you're interacting with people or not. There's a hashpa. There's a hashpa of, of living in, you know, Gullis. There's a hashpa of being in America, not being in Eretz Yisrael. There's a hashpa from all these things, and we have to try to, to be mindful of that. Okay, so what's the mito that Mordechai needs to be metakin? So says Rav Tzadok, V'zeh inyan hakdamas rafua lamaka demordechai bebiksa v'sarash. The Gemara tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu prepared the healing before the illness. And the example of that, the Gemara says, is that Mordechai at the end of the second parak of Esther is already put into position to save the day. Because what, is, what does Mordechai do at the end of the second parak of Esther? He finds out that Big Son and Saresh have this plot against the king, and he informs the Melech HaChashverosh what's happening, and Esther goes and tells the Melech B'Shem Mordechai, and Mordechai has this credit by the king. And what's Paragimel right after that? Acher Hadvar Me'ila. HaChashverosh promotes Haman, and Haman starts to attack Klayasom. Asaf, Boker Tov. Great to see you. Asaf, Gemachi Rosh Hashanah. Let's never forget that one. Okay, so friends, so listen. So, so, so Mordechai, again, Mordechai saves Achashverosh, and Mordechai has this great credit, this great standing in the eyes of Achashverosh, right before Haman comes to power. So that way, when Achashverosh has his sleepless night in the middle of the Megillah, and he's reading his book, and he remembers Mordechai and how he saved him, so that's going to that's gonna start to unravel Haman. 
So that was HaKadosh Baruch Hu being hiktim refua lamaka. Hashem prepared the medicine before the illness. Okay, now what does that mean? So says her tzaddik, Bevadai hu refua pnimis lamaka pnimis. It was an internal healing for an internal illness. However, like we learned, when a person has a bad midah, we started off with the Rambam. That's like a person who's sick. A bad midah is a sickness. So what was the sickness that Mordechai had? What was the illness, what was the bad midah that Mordechai had absorbed from his world? Okay? So now, uve'emes, but first let's ask the question. What's the question, Chavra? What's your question on Mordechai saving Achashverosh? It's such a, it's such a strong and important question. Uve'emes t'mua, lama gila Mordechai. Why did Mordechai save Achashverosh from the plot of Big Son and Seresh? Why didn't Mordechai let Achashverosh be poisoned and die? V'halotov yoser she'areg Achashverosh. Let Achashverosh die. Let him be killed. Tov yoser she'areg Achashverosh. Let Achashverosh be killed. And if Achashverosh is killed, you know what happens? V'tinatzel Esther mibias iser. Then Esther is saved from what? From sleeping with a non-Jew. He could have saved Esther. Now if you'll tell me, well... Chazal tried to explain why it wasn't such an Avera for Esther, because she was being taken against her will, and a woman in that situation is passive, so it's not as if she's really even doing the Avera. Hagam de karka olam leka iser. A woman in, in, in that situation is like karka olam, in other words, she's not doing a Misa, she's passive, and therefore it's not such a big Avera. Okay, so what? Mikol makom, bottom line, vaday mitzvah you want to tell me it's not such a big Esther, it's not such a big uh, Avera for Esther to be, to be raped by Achashverosh, but it's certainly a big trauma. And there's certainly a mitzvah to save Esther. Va'akum lo mailin moridin. More than that. You know what the Gemara says? The Gemara says that a Jew doesn't really have an obligation, all the more so in this type of situation, right, to save a, to save a non-Jew. Lo mailin moridin. You don't have to go out of your way to save the non-Jew. And especially, and again, how, how that plays out practically in Allah, I'm not commenting on right now. Right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. I'm not suggesting that. But certainly when we're dealing with a Russia like an Ahasuerus, when you have an opportunity to look away and let him be killed, so of course let him be killed. So why would you try to save Ahasuerus? Have you hear the Kasha? It's a very strong Kasha. It's a very strong Kasha. The truth is, you maybe you've heard this kasha before. I feel like I heard this kasha maybe in elementary school. I certainly didn't hear of Tzadok's answer in elementary school, but it's like an old kasha. But it's a very, it's a very good kasha. Why would Mordechai want to save Achashverosh when he could let Esther, uh, Achashverosh be killed, and then Esther could be saved? That's the kasha. Okay? So listen to what he says. Raksha Shamati. He says, but I've heard an answer. And whenever he says Shamati, usually when a tzaddik says Shamati, it means he heard from his Rebbe, the Ishbitzer Rebbe. Okay, and the Ishbitzer discusses this in his Sefer Meyashilach. Shamati, I heard, Diklipas Paras, Hu Tsaras Ayn. What was the bad Midah of the world of Achashverosh? A world that gets blurred with Haman. I know we're talking about Paras, we're talking about Achashverosh, we're talking about Amalek, which is not Paras. But what's going on in that world? What's happening in the kingdom of Ahasuerus? 
again, when I talk about the kingdom, I'm talking about what's the spiritual energy or the, the negative spiritual energy that comes from the world of paras. And the answer is tsaras ayin. Chavar, what is tsaras ayin? What is tsaras ayin? A stingy eye. A certain negative perspective. A pessimistic attitude. Right? Trying to convince the Jewish people, come to my party because even though God said he's going to come back to get you after 70 years of exile between the first and second base of Mikdash, it seems that God has forgotten about you. How do you go to Achashverosh's party? The only way you go to Achashverosh's party if you've what? If you've become so pessimistic that you've basically given up that Hashem's ever going to save you. So you might as well just throw on the towel and have a good time. So the klipa of Paras, the klipa of the world of Achashverosh, is the midah of what? Of a negative eye, of a tsaras eye. So even though Tzadik has a lot more to present here, he almost like can't hold back. He has to say like right away how we fix it. So therefore on Purim, Chavra, we love each other to death. We love each other so much on Purim. We give Mishlach Manos. We give Matanos Lev Yonim. We give hugs to every Jew that we meet on the street. We dance with strangers. We, we smile and say Shalom Aleichem to everyone, the person who we would normally walk right past on a regular, on a regular Tuesday afternoon. Because there's this overflowing Ayin Tov towards someone else which is a tikkun of the tsaras ayin, of the stingy eye, of the negative pessimistic perspective of Achashverosh and his kingdom. So therefore, shlach manos, mishlach manos is what? Shuhu hahipoch de tsaras ayin. It's the very opposite. It's ish le'e'eyu, it's getting connected to our fellow Jews in a deep way. Okay? But let's go deeper, because what is tsaras ayin? How does it, how does it manifest? What does tsaras ayin mean? Is it just about, you know, bringing, uh, you know, I don't know, an orange and a, a homentashin and a juice box to the guy who lives next door, right? Or a fancy mishloch manos, if you so desire. V'chein nira. He says like this. V'chein nira mimasha omru b'sanhedrin. The Gemara says that Elam, now what is Elam? If you look in Sefer Daniel, it says that Shushan was in the Medina of Elam. Okay? So Elam means Shushan. Right? It means Purim. So the people of Elam, and obviously he's talking about the Jews of Elam, Zachsa Lilmod Velo Lilamid. The people in Elam were Zochah to learn Torah, but they weren't Zochah to teach Torah. Interesting. What does that mean? Perish, Kemosha Shemati, Alilmod Ulilamid. He says the answer to this is found in what I heard again from my Rebbe, the Ishbitzer Rebbe, on the very notion of Lilmod Ulilamid. However, what do we daven every day? We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, I need your help. V'sein b'libeinu, bina, right? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give me the bina, l'havin, l'haschil, l'ilmod u'lilamid. You daven that every day. No? Rabbi Aaron, you ask Hashem to help you to what? Not just to learn, but also to teach. Now, I don't know if you have plans to become a rabbi, to become a teacher, right? But even the person, let's say, who does, who has aspirations to go into chinuch, and wants to formally be a teacher of Torah, Chutzpah. Who has the audacity to say that I'm going to be, oh, I'm the one who's, I'm going to teach you. Right? I should, I should know more than you. It's like not a nice tefillah. To be a malamid means that you're basically saying, I'm, I, I have the knowledge, I'm going to impart that to you. So it says in the Ishmael Rav. What right does a person have to say that I should be, I should be, I should be his Rebbe. I should teach him. Right? Excuse you. Well, I should have the humility to, to be a Talmud, to learn from someone else. Right? 
No, no, I, Hashem, give me the ability that I should know more than someone else, that I should be a teacher. I want to teach someone else. Well, what's the pshat in that? What it means is, the goal is that what? That I should have a good eye towards someone else. That what? That sha'acher yeda gamkein mashu yodeya viyakamoso. You know you're really davening? You know how you're lumod ulalamed? It's an interesting pshat. That I, I'm hoping that what? That I should learn. And I should also teach. What, do I, what does that mean? I should want someone else to have the knowledge that I have. That in the schus of my tefillah, it sounds like that's what he's saying, this person should, should, should know things. In other words, it's Dafka not wanting to be his teacher, but wanting him to have the knowledge. Because, again, there's a taiva to want to be better than someone else. I want someone else to what? To be a, a Tamil Chacham like me. I don't want to feel that, that, you know, that I'm able to feel good about myself because I'm, I know more than you. I'm better than you in that way. So therefore, in Elam, and again, where's Elam? Elam is Shushan. Where's Shushan? Shushan's Achashverosh, Achashverosh's, uh, you know, kingdom. The Elam lo zochsolilamid. What does it mean that the people of Elam were zochet to learn, but not to teach? There was a certain stinginess that they had towards each other. However, do you know that when the Gemara says, that the Talmidei Rabbi Akiva were lo nagu kavod zeb Some tzaddikim explain it was this Indian. What does it mean? They didn't have kavod for each other? It means that each one wanted to know more than the other guy. They didn't want that their chavrusa, I want to know more than my chavrusa. I want to be the Rebbe. As opposed to what? As opposed to davening that what? That somehow my tefillah alone should, 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 should teach, should educate this person. That he should be zochet to have the, the knowledge that I have. So in Elam, the hashpa of Achashverosh, the stinginess of Achashverosh, is shalozachu letovas ayin kazeh, mitzad tokas hasaras ayin cheshole ba'avir osa uma. When you're in that place, the avir, the very air of that people, of that place, of paras, of elam, of shushan, was such that what? That it created a tsaras ayin, that everyone wanted to learn, but no one wanted to teach. Everyone wanted to have for themselves, but no one wanted to give. That's what it means. To such a degree, that Bnei Yisrael, who were living under the kingdom of Achashverosh, under Achashverosh's rule, were influenced by what? By that stinginess. By that, by that bad eye towards one another. Okay? And again, as Rav Tzadik told us, that's part of what we're trying to defeat on Purim, through the Mishloach Manos, through the Avas Yisrael, like we learned in Moor Vashemesh the other day. Right? It's that, that awesome Achdus and Ava that we're trying to be Ma'orer on, uh, on Purim. Okay, so now ready for this? Listen to this. The Isa B'chulin, the Gemara in Chulin says, Ein hasasa below achila ushasiya. Ein hasasa, a person cannot be, what does hasasa mean? Anyone know? A person can't be enticed, a person can't be almost seduced until what? Until they're under the spell of food and drink. Right, once someone starts to feed you, and to give you to drink, right? Then all of a sudden you feel a sense of indebtedness to that person. So Achashverosh had to throw a party in order to what? In order to bring us under his spell. To bring us under the spell of, of Tsaras Ayin. In order to, 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 to have a hashba on us, right? And that's why he invited us to, it, it's very deep, it's very, it's very deep what Tzadok is saying here. He's saying that 
Achashverosh, by inviting us to the party, was feeding us, but what he was really feeding us was the pessimism, the Tsaras Ayin, where we gave up on Hashem ever saving us. He was feeding us ne- negativity. He was feeding us yayosh. He was feeding us despair. So, Ein HaSasa Blo Achilo Shasiya, Vizet HaMishta Achashverosh, Achashverosh was luring us in that we should become subservient to him. And the submission means accepting his kingdom. And accepting his kingdom, as we just learned, means what? By doing so, we accept what? His bad midos. We get his kochos, which means his bad midos. Like the Gemara says in Avodah Zarah, that Yisrael shabachutz laaretz ovde avodazara bitara al yedeh hasuuda. Listen to this line: the Jews in chutzlaretz. He's talking about us. We're ovde avodazara in purity. Right? We we have innocent forms of avodazara that we that we that we do. You know what our avodazara is? Al yedeh hasuda. You know what that means? Who wants to say the pshat? What suda? What suda avodazara did you go to? And by the way, it was glad kosher. What Suda Savodazara did you go to? The same way Achashverosh's Suda was also glad kosher. Achashverosh's Suda was glad kosher. But you know what? But you were at his party. You were at his party. So you said, but, but I was invited. I was invited to this, you know, to the, the office holiday party. But, but don't worry, they're going to get me a nice little kosher package of food. That's Avodazara. That's a form of Avodazara. That's Avodazara. You don't belong there. That's not your scene. That's not your Chevra. Right? Okay, I understand. You have to make a parnasa. You have to be in the office with them. But you have to go to the bar with them? No, no, but I'll get a kosher drink. That's, that's called Jews in Chutzar. It's being Ovid Avodazar Batara Al Yidei Suda. You're drinking a kosher drink. You're eating a kosher meal. But you're doing it in a non-kosher context where there's going to be a hashpa. And you're going to receive some of the midos. Because when you hang out at the bar with that chevra, you're going to have a certain hashpa. Even if you're guarded, not going to do an avera. You're going to make sure you only eat the kosher, you know, items. But that's still going to have a hashpan a person. So Achashverosh is trying to what to give us his bad mida, that mida of tsaras ayin. Vitokif kawachauma biyoser hu And again, which person from the whole kingdom embodies the mida of the kingdom more than anyone else? The king, right? The king again, like the Maharal says, melech is the same letters as kulam. He's an all-encompassing person. He represents the nation. And therefore, So if you get close to him, so automatically it rubs off on you. It rubs off on you. Okay. So now, Hevra. Okay, so the Jews went to the party and the Jews got bad midos. But it wasn't just the Jews who went to the party. Amru Chazal, Chazal tell us that Mordechai was at the party. Now Mordechai was at the party to make sure what? Why was Mordechai at the party, Evan? I'll tell you why Mordechai was at the party. Mordechai was at the party to make sure that we had kosher food. But he was still at the party. Which means that Mordechai also, in that moment, acquired a little bit of the midah of what? Of Tsaras Ayin. He was getting some of that hashpa. Because if you go to the party, if you go to the party, even if you're careful, you're still going to walk out a different person. So at the party of Achashverosh, it says, Chazal say in the Gemara Megillah, that the party, like it says in the Megillah, that the food and the drink, no one had to indulge anyone could take what they want. La asos keratzon ish vaish. Says the Gemara, who's ish vaish? However, who's ish vaish? Ish Yehudi haya b'shushan abira. One ish is Mordechai. He's called ish in the Megillah. And Haman is also called ish in the Megillah. Right? Ish tsar va'oyev. 
So, Kiratzon Ish Ve'ish means that the party, Mordechai and Haman, were the Sari Mashkin Besuda. Who were the bartenders at the Suda? Who was running? Who were the waiters? Who were the caterers at the party? Mordechai and Haman were running the party. Right? And therefore, if you go to Achashverosh's party, even if you're a Mordechai who's trying to keep the Jews from doing Averos, Vadai Koltu Mehasasa Zobioser. If you're working to run the party, you're going to have a big hashpa. Even if you're there with the best intentions, Mordechai is there for the best reasons. Mordechai is trying to stop the Jews from falling into despair. That's why he's at the party. He's trying to, he's trying to keep their spirits you know, lively in a, in a positive way. He's trying to get them to not give up completely. Rabbi Avram Svi Kluger says an amazing remiss. I don't think we said it this year. He says, Mordechai is Ish and Haman is Va'ish. So Rabbi Kluger says, you know what Ish stands for? Ish is Rashi Tevos, Ein Shum Yeyush. Ein Shum Yeyush. Because Mordechai is trying to stop the Jews from falling into despair. And who is Va'ish? Va'ish is Meramis to Haman. So look at the word Va'ish. It's the letter is Yeyush. Yud Aleph Vav Shin is Yeyush. So Haman's trying to get us to give up completely. Mordechai's at the party. He says, listen, I know the Jews are very down, but I'm trying to keep their spirits high. But realize, Mordechai, if you're running the party, even if you're, even if you're doing it L'Shem Shemayim, it's going to have a, a negative hashpa. Okay? It's going to, it's going to impact the person. Okay, Rabioni, what do you want to say? Let's hear. What about Shlichus? Like, what? isn't that the, the fundamental idea that, like, you can help anyone, like, wherever you are? So you're saying, like, like Shlichus for the Rebbe? Yeah. Being a Shlich? Yeah, you can, but, but the point is, Rav Tzadok's point is that when a person, again, when, that's why I like that we started with the Rambam, right? I mean, the Rambam tells us there are physical realities. There's a physical reality that if a person's in a certain environment, right, drinking certain water or breathe, breathing certain air will make a person sick, right? So there's, there is a reality when you're on Shlichus in, uh, in uh, Uzbekistan or wherever, you know, there, it has a hashpa on a person. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, right? But realize that Mordechai is going to, even Mordechai is going to fall a little bit under the spell of Achashverosh, and therefore, you have to be aware of that. But look at the punchline. We have to get to the punchline. We have one paragraph, one you know, one little stretch left, where we're going to get to the punchline. If you know that you're going to be influenced, what do you have to do? You have to you have to fight back. In other words, if I'm in an environment, let's say my work environment, right, let's say I'm not working for the Hasidic company where everyone uh, is from, and I get a mincha minion and a you know a rosh chodesh shir and, and kosher sushi. But let's say I'm like the the token Jew in my workplace, right? So I know that the way that the non-Jews in my environment act and talk and think and dress, all of that's going to have a hashpa. So I have to work extra hard to what? To push back. Which we're going to see is going to be an incredibly mysterious punchline to this whole piece. Okay? How did Mordechai overcome the tsaras ayin? To not, to show, to show Achashverosh that I'm not going to be influenced by you even though I am influenced by you. Because it would be a lie for any of us to say we're not influenced. We are influenced. But I could choose to push back. That's the part. I could choose to not, I could choose to not uh, surrender entirely. So you're right. Rabioni, Shlichus is a big mitzvah, but it's also, it's also a very, you have to be guarded. You have to be careful. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have a place. You gotta know yourself. Not everyone's cut out for it. Yes, Rabbi Aaron, what do you say? Can you say the Yish and Vayish one more time, please? Yeah, of course. Thank you for asking. Rav Kluger says, Rav Avram Tzvi Kluger, in Eretz Yisrael, Shlita, says that Ish is the Rashi Tevos, Ein Shum Yeyush. Because right? Mordechai is the 
personality who's trying to prevent us from falling into despair. So Ish is Rashi Tevos, Ein Shum Yayush. And the word Va'ish, not the Rashi Tevos, but the letters, the very letters of the word, Yud, Aleph, Vav, and Shin, spell out Yayush. Because Haman is trying to get us to fall into a state of Yayush, of utter despair. And Mordechai is Ish, Ein Shum Yayush, he's trying to keep us, keep us afloat. Okay? Okay. So now, so let's come to let's come to the punchline. Okay, so how does the Megillah begin? The whole story begins. It all starts to unfold. The Megillah begins with the Suda. In a certain sense, you have to ask yourself, what did we do wrong that Hashem wanted to punish us? And the answer is, we went to the to the Suda of Now that's a discussion, and he's going to have that discussion very quickly with us. But let's just keep that as our punchline. Because we went to Sudas Achashverosh, and because we were influenced through the eating and drinking at that party, we fell under the spell of Achashverosh, namely Tsaras Ayin, a certain pessimism and a negative eye. And even Mordechai, the Heligat Sadik, who was there with the best intentions, even he fell under that spell. So Purim has to be a tikkun for that Tsaras Ayin. Okay? But let's go slowly here for a second. So the Megillah begins again. The Gezeira, the fact that Haman was able to, to try to harm us, came about because what? Shenehenu misudaso shalosa rasha, the Gemara says, right? Shenehenu, we got hana, we got pleasure from the Suda of Achashverosh. Hagam demasik dishtachavu letzelem. Okay, now Ratzadik says, and even though the Gemara says that really the starting point of the Jewish people deserving to be punished was when we bowed down to the idol, what idol? Not bowing down to Haman. Be careful here. Get, get it clear. Not bowing down to Haman. In the time period of Nebuchadnezzar, prior to the Purim story, the Jewish people, Nebuchadnezzar, also had this statue. It's a question whether it was a Vodazara or it was just a sign of honor. But the bottom line is the Jews bowed down to that as well, with the exception of some special individuals. So, Mikol Makom, Harei Lonenchu Oz Tekaf. Even though we had really done Averos during Gullus Bavel, in the previous exile, the previous period. Nonetheless, we weren't punished at that time. Why? The Gemara clarifies that even though we bowed down, we only did it lipanim. We only did it on the outside. The outer appearance we bowed down, but no Jew in their heart actually believed in that. So therefore what? So therefore our hearts were clean. And therefore, Hashem who sees our hearts... As the Pasuk says, Hashem Yira Lalevav, Hashem who sees the Jewish heart, in the eyes of Hashem, Ein Chet. Because on the inside, Hashem knew we didn't really bow down. Okay, fine. However, Rak Mitzidam, listen how deep of Sadak is. But from our perspective, how do we judge? Hever, do we judge hearts? Unfortunately, not. We sometimes judge how our eyes see things, right? We judge things superficially. So Hashem looked in our hearts and saw we didn't really bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. So Hashem said, okay, I can let it slide. Rak mitzidam, but from our, from a human perspective, right? From the human perspective, there's a chet, yesh chet. Why? Because a person judges with what he sees. So on a superficial level, right? Our eyes saw Jews bowing down to this idol. Now, how can we still be spared? Even though we saw that we bowed down to the idol. You know what we could do? We could have a really good eye. 
Even though I saw it, even though it looks like a person's bowing down to the idol, even though it looks like my friend's going into McDonald's, he's probably just, you know, desperately needs to use the bathroom. He's not buying a cheeseburger. If I maintain an eye in Tov, if I have a good eye, then even when my eyes see the Avera, but I can redefine it. I can be like a Berdichever. I can be like a Balshamtov. I can try to see it in a positive way. So even though what? Even though on the surface to the human eye it should have looked like an Avera, However, rakasher misnagim betovas ayin, but when we act towards each other with a proper eye, with a good eye, so then Hashem says, you know what, I could also act that way. Gam Hashem yisbarach yesh lo tovas ayin kenegdam. Hashem is able to what? Hashem is able to act towards us as well with a good eye. La shpiyam kimidaso yira lelevav. So Hashem says, so that I can judge you, Right? Since you have a good eye, so I can I can also give you some of my midah of seeing what's really happening in the heart, and I can let the whole thing slide. So in other words, we bow down to an idol, but it was a time period when the Jewish people still had a good eye towards each other. And as long as we have a good eye towards each other, even though on the surface our eyes see an Avera, Hashem was willing to overlook it. But what happened when we went to Ahasuerus' party? Here's the punchline. We went to Ahasuerus' party, and our eyes changed. We acquired a Tsaras Ayin. We got influenced, under the influence of Ahasuerus' food and drink, we adopted his bad Midah to look with a negative eye. When we ate at his suda, when we acquired his bad midah. So then, you know what happens? Hashem says, you know what? If, you're, if everyone becomes selfish, so Hashem says, so I'll be selfish also. I'll keep my midah, and you keep your midah. Hashem says, my midah is I look at the heart. But that's, that's my business. You want to do things your way. You have a bad eye. So Hashem says that's going to that's gonna be the reality. And therefore the reality was that they had bowed down to an idol. Right? That's what had happened. As long as we had a good eye towards each other, Hashem was willing to overlook it. But the Avera that we did a generation earlier, once we had a bad eye, it had to be redefined. So now, let's go slowly for a second. So now that we acquired this bad eye at the Suda of, uh, of Ahasuerus, yeah, so now we're, now we're, 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 we're eligible to be punished by Haman, who what? Who also had a bad eye. Right? In other words, as long as we had a good eye, Haman with his evil eye couldn't be jealous of the fact that what? That Mordechai refused to bow down to him. In other words, if Haman had a good eye, how would he look at his own situation? He would say, I am so successful, Baruch Hashem. How much should say, I have all the money, I have a beautiful family, I have tons of power. He had every reason to see all the good, but unfortunately, once we acquired a bad eye at Tzudas Achashverosh, that's how the Megillah begins, what happens next? Haman starts to develop a bad eye towards us. And therefore, Haman's able to look at this one Jew who refuses to bow down to him. He develops a Tsaras eye towards Mordechai, that he desperately wants Mordechai to bow down to him, right? And, and Mordechai refuses. And similarly, Mordechai, who's starting up with Haman, right? Mordechai actually has a Tsaras Ayin towards Haman. You know why? You know why Mordechai won't bow down to Haman? Rosaldik says something interesting. It's not just that a Jew doesn't bow and it's wrong to bow and he has every reason to say, Haman, I can't bow down to you. You know why? 
he has a certain a certain tsaris ayin. I can't allow. I can't celebrate Haman's success. Why? Because if you know the backstory, the Medrash tells us that Haman, at a time earlier, had sold himself as a slave to Mordechai. He was Mordechai's Evid. And now Haman, right? Imagine the guy who used to work for you. You know, he was like the, the guy in the mailroom at your company. Now he's like the head of a rival company that's bigger than your company. So you can't celebrate that. So Mordechai has a certain Tsaras Ayin back at Haman. So there's this stingy eye, there's this, there's this Tsaras Ayin that's going around, right? Haman's inability to appreciate his success and channeling that, that negative eye towards Mordechai. Mordechai, who's, who's, uh, inciting Haman against him because he has a Tsaras Ayin towards Haman. After all, you're my slave, right? And how could it be that now all of a sudden I trained you and now you have your own company? How could that be? Now, says Ritzadak, and we're very close to the end, so hang tight. Okay, where are we? Uh, and even though obviously there's something very good to all of this, right? What does it mean there's something very good to all of this? What's very good to all this? As is brought in Tosvos and Sanhedrin, that Haman had what? That Haman had a, an idol. That was Chokuk Alibo. Chokuk literally means engraved. But either it means he either had, he was wearing an idol around his neck, or maybe he had some type of Vodazara tattoo that was engraved over his heart. Whatever it is exactly that Haman had, right? There was a halachic reason also not to bow down to Haman. Namely, that it was a Vodazara. But on a certain level, Mordechai, he's saying a deep thing. Mordechai didn't bow down to Haman because of what? Because I can't bow down to this guy. He used to work for me. He still works for me. Right? I'm not going to celebrate his success. So even though Mordechai used his Saras Ayin against Haman, and the truth is that was a good thing because Haman was a shtikol of Odezara, and in doing this, Mordechai, by not bowing down, was really fixing what? The aver of the Jews from the previous generation when they bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, nonetheless, Mordechai... I'm enjoying watching you smile. Nonetheless, Mordechai what? Mordechai, Mordechai a little bit was acting from what? From a bad midah. He was acting a little bit with a, with a, a midah lotova. He was acting with a bad midah. Okay? So now, listen to the punchline. This is wild. Rak be'emes, Mordechai kvarhirgish bedover v'ratza letakim. Chevra, Mordechai understood that he was under the influence of Achashverosh's kingdom. Chapter 1 of Megillus Esther, everyone's at that party, even Ishva Ish, even Mordechai. Mordechai is under the influence of Achashverosh, and he acquires a bad eye. In Perak Gimel, when Haman comes to power, and Haman insists that he bow down, Mordechai uses that bad eye to fight against Haman. He uses that stinginess to not bow down to Haman, which in fact is a very big tikkun for Klal Yisrael. It fixes the fact that they bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. So it's actually a very good thing that Mordechai is not bowing down. But a little bit he's using a bad midah. So how does Mordechai push back on the bad midah? Where does Mordechai show that, you know what, even though this bad midah, I'm using it to fight off Haman, which is actually obviously a very good thing, but I have to, I have to just be aware of what I'm really doing. I have to understand what this midah is. And I have to recognize that a, a bad midah is an illness that needs to be fixed. 
Rak be'emes, Mordechai, Kfar Hirgish, Bedover, Verotzel, Etakim. Says Ratzadok, that's the second parak of the Megillah. The first parak of the Megillah, Mordechai gets a bad midah. The third parak of the Megillah, Mordechai uses that bad midah to fight off Haman. But how do you make sure that that bad midah doesn't become you? That you don't use it in a bad way. Right? That you can use it to fight against the Haman, but how do I make sure that I don't act with stinginess towards my fellow Jew? How do I make sure that I don't become haughty and only want to acquire Torah for myself and not want someone else to have spiritual success? Mordechai understood this and he wanted to fix the bad midah. And that's what it means when the Gemara says that the, the healing came before the illness. That Mordechai worked on what? Like the Rambam told us, fixing a midah is fixing your health, your spiritual health. Where do we see that Mordechai went to the opposite extreme to not have a stingy eye? Ready for this? It, it's shocking to say. What did Mordechai do to show that he didn't have a stingy eye? What did Mordechai do? You know what he did? Mordechai obviously could have had what? A real tsarist eye towards Achashverosh. After all, Achashverosh took his wife. He stole Esther. You know why Mordechai wants Achashverosh dead? Not because... Achashverosh is doing an Avera. He wants revenge. Because you stole my wife. You stole Esther. And even though as we started the piece, sometimes what? Sometimes in a certain context it's a mitzvah. We can all understand the mitzvah of getting Achashverosh killed. But Mordechai said, I have to be metaking this bad midah. And therefore I have to show a good eye towards someone who I should really, really hate. And who is that? Achashverosh. Who letakin at saras ayin. To fix the tsaras ayin towards Achashverosh, Adraba, Nishtadil Bahatsalaso. Mordechai in the second parak of the Megillah tells Achashverosh about the plot against him to save his life, which leaves Esther in captivity. But that's Mordechai saying, I don't want to fall into the, the trait of tsaras ayin. I don't, and, and it's, it's such a vinahafachu, right? I mean, he's taking the very mida that Achashverosh embodies, that negative eye. Which is really Achashverosh trying to make Klal Yisrael pessimistic and despair of ever having a Yeshua, of ever seeing a Beis Hamikdash again. And Mordechai flips it around and says, "I'm going to have such a good eye towards the person I should hate so much, the man who's literally abusing my wife." And Mordechai saves Achashverosh. Lomar she'ein lo tzaras ayin negdo hagam shu goy verasha. Even though Mordechai has every reason to let Achashverosh die, and therefore once Mordechai shows that he has his midos under control. So then when he uses the tsaras ayin against Haman, it's mamish lishma. You can't claim that he's just under the influence of a bad midah. Sometimes a person, I'll give you a very simple example. Sometimes a person thinks he's like a big warrior for Hashem. He's a big knoi for Hashem. Maybe he's just an angry guy. Maybe he just has an anger problem. So he thinks every time he's like, he's, you know, all bent out of shape and this is, this is treif and this is no good. And he thinks like he's, he's a big, you know, he's a big uh, knoi. For a Kaddish Baruch Hu, maybe he just has bad midos. Maybe he talks that way to his wife and to his children and to his parents. Maybe he's just a maybe he's just a, a feisty person. So how do I know if he's really fighting for for a holy cause or if he's just a, a fiery guy? So Mordechai says, I want to show you that when I use a tsaras ayin to defeat Haman, it's not because I'm not in control of my midos. Look how far I went to what 
to have a good eye towards a Russia, a guy, in the words of Ratzadah, a guy and a Russia who kidnapped my wife and is abusing her. So when he uses that evil eye against Haman, it's mamish l'shem shemayin. And that's what it means, hagdamas rafua lamaka. Look how Mordechai healed his, his midos in order to then be able to use the mida in the right way against the Russia. So what an incredible, brilliant, one tiny little piece of Tzidkas HaTzadik. What an incredible lesson for each and every one of us. There's so many practical lessons here. To be, to be mindful of the hashpa that a person has. You could, be in, you could be in a place that you feel that I have to be here, and I'm here for the right reasons, and I'm being careful, and you're still falling under the influence of, uh, of Ahasuerus. You're still under the influence of the one who's, you know, who's trying to, to change your character. But you have to push back. You have to go to the opposite extreme, like the Rambam told us. And then, then I can actually say, you know what, so then why was I in that situation? Mordechai has to ask himself, why, why did Hashem want me to acquire Tsaras Ayin? That's such a bad midah. Right? And on Purim, we go to the extreme to love each other, Mishloch Manos, and we're trying to push back on that. But sometimes you need, to, you need a little bit of a Tsaras Ayin to have the courage to fight a Haman. But to show that it was Lishma, to show that it was really for the right reason, Mordechai had to first do something which was really hard to fix his Midos. And he had to have compassion on a, on a, on a, a Russia like Achashverosh. But in the end, that compassion, again, puts all of the Yeshua into motion. And it shows that when a person works on himself and does the right thing, he never, sof kol sof, he never loses out. Okay, so a very, a very deep teaching and a really important lesson in Midos, important lesson in uh, being mindful of influence and, uh, and understanding, you know, that sometimes a person has to, just because in a certain context it's a mitzvah, in a different context, to work on yourself, it's kedai to, uh, to forgo that mitzvah. Okay? That's your tzaddik for you, friends. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay, we should be zochah to not acquire the, the pessimism, the negativity, and the bad eye of, uh, of Paras, of Amalek. We have to have a good eye towards each other. That's who we are. That's Klal Yisrael. The Ayin Tov. It's all Esav. It's the same world of Esav. It's the Esav Yeshli Rav, right? It's the Ayin Rav, Esav. We said many times that Esav comes with his 400 men. 400 is Gematria, Ayin Ra. Yaakov lived 147 years, Gematria Ayin Tov. The whole world of Klai Yisrael is about, you know, learning to, to see the good in each other. So that's what Purim brings out. That's what Purim brings out in us. The love and the goodness.